We have been in a marriage series called From This Day Forward and Marriage Relationship Series. So if you're single, um, don't tune us out. We got some things for you as well. But we're going to wrap it up today. And before we do, before we dive right into this, I just want to pray. Because the past three weeks, we've really been just trusting and believing Jesus that he would restore marriages, that he would heal broken relationships. I know that some of you have walked in here and there's just tension between you. Like right now, if you were to take a knife, you could cut the tension between you and your spouse right now. It's just tense. And so we know that the enemy is after destroying marriages because if he can do that, he can destroy a whole lot of other things as well. So I'm really trusting and believing that you guys will walk out of here this morning, wherever your marriage is at, and it'll be healthier, it'll be stronger, and God will begin to do something deep within your relationship. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that we have an opportunity, God, just to come in here today and uh, talk about you. God, where there's places all over the world that do not have this opportunity. God, I pray that this morning that you would restore marriages no matter where we're at. God, for those that are newly married or those that are just young and in love, and God, maybe they're naive about what marriage has in store for them. Or God, if we've been married for 30 or 40 years, God, wherever we're at, God, I pray that you would restore a passion, that you would restore a love for you and a love for each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you've been with us, um, let me kind of, or if you haven't been with us, let me catch you up a little bit. We've been talking about four different things, and I'll finish the fourth one today. But in the first week, we talked about if you're going to have a healthy marriage, then you've got to learn to seek Jesus. Um, your love for one another is not going to be the glue that holds you together. Because how many of you guys know that you're going to wake out of, up out of bed one morning and you're not going to really feel like you're in love? Anybody know what I'm talking about? So we talked about you've got to learn to seek Jesus. In the second week, we've talked about learning to fight fair. Like we, we talked about this whole idea of that conflict is just going to happen. When you take two selfish people and you put them in the same house underneath the same roof, doing life together, arguments and conflict is just going to happen. So we talked about how can we learn to fight well with one another and not necessarily fight dirty, not belittle each other. And then last week, my dad was here and he talked about purity. He talked about setting some parameters and some boundaries in place to protect and guard your marriage. I don't know if you know this or not, but... uh. 75% of our population is addicted to pornography. Okay, so we just simply talked about putting some barriers, putting some parameters in place to keep your marriage healthy. Sometimes, I don't know if you know this, is not necessarily even the uh, spiritual aspect. Sometimes some of us just need to put practical things in place. So maybe it's putting a filter on our phone or on our internet, or if your phone is your issue, like I've suggested this to some guys, like if the phone is the issue, like you need to do whatever you need to do to make that not an issue anymore. So if you've got to go back to the Stone Age and get a flip phone, like go for it, you know, go go do the flip phone. It's worth that rather than ending and losing your marriage, right? Um, And then this week, what we're going to wrap it up with is we're going to talk about learning to have fun together. Just learning to have fun together. Some of us have lost this kind of just wonder for one another. We've lost this passion for one another. Some of us are asking ourselves the question like, what happened to us when we, when we were first married? We were young and in love and we were just all into each other. And then now the only way that you want to talk to each other is through a lawyer. <laughs> 
You know what I'm talking about? Like what happened to the passion? What happened to the flame, the fire that you once had to leading all the way to the point that you're at now or where some of you are at now? And so I want to talk about what does it look like to have fun together? How does something that promises so much um, intimacy lead to something that ends up being so much destruction? I've seen it time and time and time again where you have a couple that falls in love with each other and they're absolutely convinced that this is the person for the rest of their life and then sooner or later, based on a few choices, they find themselves in a place and they're asking themselves the question, how did I even get here? You ever find yourself in a place with your relationship with Jesus or a place with your spouse and you're not really even quite sure how you got there? You don't really know the choices that you made to get you to that point. You just know that you drifted. And so if you have a Bible, um, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. It's not going to be on the screen. Um, (laughs) But uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 through 20. And if we're going to learn to have fun together, if we're going to learn to enjoy marriage for 40, 50 years, however long God gives us, then we're going to have to have a solid foundation on which we build our marriage. Okay, so this is Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, and it says this. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. And it says, now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice. Hold fast to him. For what does it say? For the Lord is your life. For the Lord is your life. So here's the first kind of... Um, principle that I want to take from this. Life-giving relationships look to God as the source of their life. So if you're going to be in any kind of life-giving relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a sister, a brother, a marriage, whatever, that life system has to come from Jesus. The truth is, especially in marriages, so many of us are putting a pressure on our spouse that they can never fulfill. We expect a too much for them. We, we almost expect them to be God in our lives because we have this emptiness inside of us. We have a void that needs to be filled. So what we end up doing is we place it on our spouse and we're saying, you know what? There's this emptiness inside of me and if, God, if I'm not finding it in God, then I'm going to find it in you. And we put this crushing weight on them and they can never fulfill it. The truth is, Claire does not make me happy. Claire does not make me happy. The truth is, I was happy before we were married. The truth is that joy, and what I'm talking about is a true sense of joy. Genuine joy does not come from any kind of marriage or any kind of relationship. Because here's the truth, and I'm not trying to be morbid or anything, but tomorrow some of you could walk out of here and that spouse that you had could be gone. You know, it could be over. And if our genuine joy is not derived in Jesus, what happens if those things are taken away from you and your joy and your happiness was wrapped up in that person? We've got to think this way. We've got to think in this eternal mindset that, you know, we're only here, as James says, we're like a mist. We're here and gone tomorrow. So if our joy is wrapped up in any kind of person, it can be taken away rather quickly. The second principle that I want to pull from Deuteronomy is this. Life-giving relationships happen when two servants are in love with each other. When two servants are in love with each other. And let me give you an example of this. And, I, and if you've been here for longer than a few months, then you've, you've heard this already. But Claire and I are extreme opposites. 
Okay, like um, Claire is a very social person. She loves being around people. She loves getting together with girls and all that kind of stuff. Although we do have five kids now under seven. I did not stutter five kids under seven. So she doesn't get to do that as often anymore. But she's a very extroverted kind of person. And, and if you know anything about me, um, all of my people skills that I have today and even learning to speak on stage is a learned habit. It was not something that came naturally to me. Um, I'm fine sitting in a restaurant by myself. I'm fine reading a book. I'm fine doing any of those things. I'm more of an introverted personality. So when Claire and I got together, it was kind of like, oh my God, what just happened? because we are totally different. And the funny thing is, is when you're dating, you're like, man, we're so alike. We're so alike. I mean, he just likes everything I like. She likes everything that I like. And then you get together and you're like, oh my God, what have we done? <laughs> like, what, what is this? We're two different people. I don't know if you've ever read the book by Gary Chapman. He talks about the five love languages. And if you've never read it, it'd be, I think it'd be very helpful for you to read it, but he talks about five different ways that your spouse receives love. And and let me put it to you this way. Have you ever tried to serve your spouse? Like maybe you got home and you you noticed dishes in the sink, and so you're washing the dishes, and you're hoping when your spouse gets home that they would notice that you wash the dishes, and they would be like, oh my God, thank you so much. And then they get home, and they look at the empty sink, they're like, oh, cool. And you're like, oh, are you serious? (laughs) Like, I just washed the dishes, and all you said is, oh, cool. Like, that's it? Well, he talks about learning your spouse and how to serve them well. Um, so he talks about these different attributes of the way that people receive love. And he talks about words of affirmation. Like one of the ways that people receive love is by encouragement. Some people just like you to encourage them. They like you to say nice things about them. When they put on a shirt or they put on some pants, even if you don't like it, you say, I love that shirt. I love those pants. Or, or maybe it's uh, gifts. They just love when you leave them gifts or you leave little notes all over the house or maybe it's quality time. Claire's all of them. (laughs) She's all, I'm just kidding. She's all of them. But they have another one, um, mine. So what I've learned to do over the few years and and where Claire, I I find her love language sometimes switches like in, and I think women are just like this. Like in one season, you're like, okay, her love language is quality time. So you're trying to do everything that you can to take her on a date quality time. And then one season she's like, I don't think it's quality time anymore. I think it's gifts. I'm like, you're just trying to get all of them, aren't you? Like, um, mine is uh, touch. That's it. Like, just touch me and we're good. Okay. That's my, um, that's my love language. And some of you guys are like, did he just say that? Yes. I just said what you're thinking. Okay. Um, but here's the deal. If we're going to serve each other, then it takes us laying down how we may receive love and offering it to our spouse. So maybe you receive love by somebody washing the dishes for you. So therefore you think, okay, if I wash the dishes for my wife, she's going to receive love that way. And she may not receive love. Maybe she just wants to spend time with you. And she doesn't care about the dishes in the sink. Okay? So if we're going to make this thing work, if we're going to increase our odds, like we talked about in the first week, that... 50% of marriages end in divorce. And unfortunately, the statistic is not any different for Christians. 50%. So if we're going to increase our odds, then we have to learn to be servants of one another. If you haven't read the book, I would strongly encourage you to do it. If you're not a reader, like download the Cliff Notes and read the quick version of it or listen to a podcast, do something. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we have to learn to lay down our own interests and serve the other person. Let me put it to you this way. 
What would your marriage look like instead of you just sitting around waiting for your wife to serve you or your husband to serve you or to notice your needs that you took initiative to notice the things that they were doing and you stepped outside of your comfort zone and you begin to serve them? Do you think that they would want to reciprocate that? Absolutely. Absolutely. The third principle that I want to pull from this. Life-giving relationships make choices every day. They make choices every day. I don't know if you know this or not, but love is not a feeling. It's a choice. And some of us, I hear this all the time in counseling people. People talk about falling in love like they drove into a ditch. They fell into it. Love is not a ditch. It's a choice. It's not something that you just fell into and so you can back out of. Okay, there's going to be days when you get out of bed in the morning and everything starts off perfect. Man, you know, we had a cup of coffee together. Everything's going well. You know, it seems like there's no tension. And then all of a sudden, life happens. Like a kid, like, sets you off in the wrong way, and you get frustrated. Or you go to work, and your boss is just, like, all over you. And so by the time you get home, there's all this tension. There's all this aggravation, the stress of that day. And then you come together, and it does not seem anything like love. It seems like if this person would just get away from me, that's the, the, the thing that I would appreciate the most right now. Just get away from me. The truth is we've got to learn to base our love and our commitment for our spouse on Jesus and not how we feel. So many marriages end in divorce because they didn't feel like it anymore. They didn't feel like it anymore. In order for your marriage to work, you're going to have to work on your marriage. (laughs) In order for it to work, you've got to work. Does that make sense? Ecclesiastes 9.9 says it this way. I love this verse. Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. The wife God gives you is your reward for all your earthly toil. Let's break that verse down just for a second. Why would Solomon say, live happily with the woman you love through all your meaningless days? Sounds like an encouraging verse, right? Through all your just worthless days. (laughs) Live happily with the woman you love. Here's what he's saying. Men, your reward, all, all of your accomplishments that you think that you want, all the success that you may have at work, and everything that you're trying to gain, and everything that you're trying to build, it means nothing. Your gift is the woman that you have next to you. Because it's the only thing that's going to last. So you can build up this great business. You can work all these hours. You can uh, accumulate all these things and have the nice truck and have the nice car and go on all the vacations. But what does it mean if she leaves you in the end? See, so many of us spend our time and our effort and our energy on things that can be taken away from us like that. And so here's what Solomon's saying. He's saying, hey, just take a moment to breathe, to pause, and to remember like you have a human being that you're spending the rest of your life with, and that is where joy is going to be derived from. You know, there's nothing better for, for Claire and I than we've been on vacations, we've done all kinds of things, but some of the best times that we have are just simply alone. <laughs> just together, no kids, going on a date, whatever it is. It's truly enjoyable. I don't know if you know this, and even um, 
within the church today, especially when we talk about sex, I think a lot of people are actually, you know, they get uncomfortable with it, right? They, 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 they're like, man, we shouldn't be talking about that. We're in church, and you're mentioning sex. Here's the deal. If we don't mention it here, they're going to definitely mention it out there. I don't know if you've ever walked through the halls of uh, Crowley High. You're definitely going to hear about it, okay? Crowley, wherever it's at, people are going to talk about it. And so here's what I want to tell you this morning. We're going to talk about some things that may be a little bit uncomfortable for you in the beginning. But listen, if we don't talk about it here, if we don't talk about it in the right context where we can talk about it in a biblical worldview, you're going to end up talking about it out there. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to give you three just practical things on how you can learn, based on Scripture, how you can learn how to have fun with each other. Okay? And what I mean by this is real fun with each other, fun that's going to last. And I'm not just talking about a date night and you went out and you, you, you ate chicken wings and you went bowling, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. Like learning how to have fun that's going to last and it can help you sustain your marriage. So number one, we've got to learn to have fun emotionally. Okay, we've got to learn to have fun emotionally. The greatest way to build someone and destroy someone is with your words. The greatest way to build someone up and destroy someone is with your words. James, James, uh, the book of James even puts it this way. He says, your tongue is like a rudder on a ship. One tiny little organ can control everything in your body. You ever, you ever notice that? Man, some, one of the greatest tragedies that I see sometimes is that we go out um, with people and I'll, I'm, I'm, it may creep you out, but I like, I like observing people. Anybody have the hobby of just like observing people? You're like, why are you staring? Like, oh my God, I'm, I don't know. I'm just like, <laughs> my mom always used to get so frustrated with me because we would go sit down in restaurants and I'd be like six, seven years old and I'm just like staring at, she's like, stop staring. <laughs> I'm like, I can't help it. Um, but I like observing people. And one of the things that I've observed over the years is this, is that, man, some women don't realize how powerful their words are, especially in public. Man, they just, in front of everybody, they don't even realize it, but they just rip their husbands to shreds. And you can see this guy just getting lower and lower as his, as his wife is like spewing poison about him, about all these things. One of the worst things that you can do is shame your spouse publicly. Do you, think it, do you think that they feel... Because here's the deal. The reason that we do that a lot of times is because you feel insecure about the situation. So the only way to make you feel secure is to make someone else feel insecure. Think how childish that is for a moment. Okay? So the greatest way to build someone up and destroy someone at the same time is with your words. Here's the deal. Your emotional tank is filled with encouraging words. So put it, let, me, let me put it to you this way. What do you do when you see the needle in your car on empty? You, you head to the gas station, right? Yeah, you panic. <laughs> you freak out. If you're like me, you just keep driving. Um, you, you freak out. You panic. It's on empty. What's going on? You go, okay, I've got to get to a gas station, and if I don't, this car's not going to be working. Isn't it funny that you, you drop twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 on a vehicle and all of its glory and whatever. I know some guys are into their trucks and all this kind of stuff. But that whole thing does not work if you don't have gas in it. Isn't that interesting? You know this whole thing that we call marriage does not work if we, can, if we don't learn to build one another up. Man, if your spouse doesn't feel safe around you. Like when, as soon as you open their, at your mouth, they're all instantly getting scared about what you're going to say. Oh God, what's he going to say now? 
Your words have the ability to affect the outlook on somebody's day. Let me put it to you this way. Um, Today, some of you, many of you are going to leave encouraged. Why? Because we came in here this morning, we sang songs. We begin to sing songs, and then you... We get up here and we preach a sermon. And so you're like, okay. And after you walk out of here, okay, I have some, some material. I have some equipment. I have some things that I need to go back and live out the rest of the day. What if we looked at that, the way that you, whatever you experience here, you looked at that and you brought that into your marriage as well. See, some of you are on E and you're passing by every gas station. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm just going to keep going. And here's the, the bad thing. Some of you know it. And you're not doing anything about it. You're just like, yeah, I know it's low. And you're just, it's like, it's almost like you're okay to just continually keep drifting. And you're okay if the marriage is just whatever. First Peter says it this way. First Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. He says, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Be as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do n- Listen to this part. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Do not repay insult with insult, but be with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So here's the deal. Some of you get insulted, so how do you repay somebody back? You insult them back, right? Somebody wounds you, your spouse wounds you, and they hurt you, so what do you do? You're like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going to hurt you back. And many of us, we're smart. We try to one-up them. They hurt you a little bit, so you're like, uh-uh, I'm going to win this. I'm going to hurt you more, right? We, we repay insult with insult, but what do it look like? Because the Bible actually says that kindness leads people to repentance. So if somebody were, if your spouse were to insult you or tear you down or not give you the things that you need emotionally, what would it look like if you begin to take on the approach of a servant and you said, you know what, regardless of what happens... I'm going to love them anyway. I'm going to encourage them anyway. What do you think that does to somebody? You ever tried to get in an argument with somebody and they just don't argue back? And you like just keep pushing. You're like, argue me. (laughs) Like, please (laughs) fight with me. And they're just like, yeah, okay, whatever. Sure, sure. No, you know what? It's okay. You're forgiven. You're like, oh my gosh. What the more and more that you do that, they're going to realize the error of their ways and God will convict them. But so many of us never get to that point because we do exactly what the scriptures do. We repay evil with evil and we repay insult with insult. What would it look like if you repaid insult with encouragement? What would that look like? So let me, let me break down the difference between men and women in this uh, scenario because we receive it kind of differently. We, re- we receive emotional fun in those capacities a little bit different. Women need face-to-face time with each other. And let me give you a perfect example of this. My wife um, likes to go out with girls, um, and she tries to as often as she can. And uh, I always ask her when she gets back, I said, I said what did y'all do? Oh, we ate, and we talked. And then after that, we went to, a, we got some dessert, and we ate, and we talked. I'm like, that's it? <laughs> like, you ate food, and you talked the whole time? That is terrible. Like, that's so boring. Like, what, what are you thinking? And, and, and I remember when we were dating, um, it was literally, and, and I, I loved it too, it was 
all she wanted to do was it didn't matter what time of day it was. Like, can we just stay on the phone for a long time? You remember the one you're dating and you're in bed and you know, your wife is talking and she's like, yeah, yeah. And you're listening. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm listening. Like, um, and you're falling to sleep on the phone together. She just wants that time, that face-to-face time. And for many women, that's how they receive that emotional connection. Men are absolutely, completely different. Men don't need face-to-face. Men need side-by-side. And so let me, let me tell you what I mean by this. If I, if I came home from a guy's night, my wife was like, what did you do? I'm like, oh, we ate, and we talked, and we went, and we had cake. <laughs> and we, she'd be like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> like, what? I'd be asking myself, what is wrong with myself? Like, um, but what do we do? As guys, we're like, dude, let's go. We go eat some chicken wings, and then we're going to go bowling. We're going to go rock climbing. We're going to do something. We want to just do an act. We're going to go see a movie. Guys just want that side-by-side time. Like, let's go be active. Let's do something. Like, if we're just sitting here awkwardly staring at each other while we're eating food, this gets really weird. <laughs> really weird, really quick. Let's go do something. And so the reason I set it up this way is because if you're going to be a servant, then you've got to learn this. Sometimes you're just, men, you're going to need to sit face to face with your wife and just hear her out and put all the distractions aside. Put your phone down. Turn the TV off. Don't have ESPN on while she's talking to you. Any you guys ever seen the uh, Inside Out movie? Anybody ever seen it? absolutely brilliant. If you, if you, <laughs> go see it if you haven't. Inside Out, it's an animation, but it's absolutely hilarious. So if you're going to be a servant of your spouse, men, sometimes you just need to sit down face to face. Women, you know what? Sometimes you need to be a servant. And you just need to plan a day and say, hey, you know what? I got a babysitter, and you know what? We can just go, ha- we can do an activity. We can go bowling. We can go rock climbing. We can, whatever, whatever tickles your fancy. I don't know. Um, Whatever you want to do, okay? If it's hunting or just mud riding or whatever it may be, sometimes, and and this is, truthfully, I tell my wife this all the time, like, we can just sit on the couch and watch a show and we don't have to talk. Like, just sit by me. That's all we need. And she's like, that's it? Like, yeah, that's, that's all I need. Just sit by me. I want you to know that you're interested, you're here, and that's it. Now, let's talk about two things that are going to keep you disconnected emotionally, Okay? Two things that are going to keep you disconnected emotionally, and these are big things, and these are important things, but if you're not careful, they can end up being the main thing. Number one, your career, and number two, your kids. Your career and your kids, and here's the deal. Let me talk to the ladies real quick. Ladies, I know that you spend every waking ounce of your time on your kids, okay? For many of you, your kids tell you when to shower, they tell you when to breathe. They tell you when to eat. They tell you when to go to the bathroom. If you're anything like my wife, and I know this to be true, because when I call her and I'm studying somewhere or I'm meeting with somebody and I have a break in between a meeting and I call her, this is, the, this is 65 to 70% of our conversation when I call her from work. And this is her on the other line. Stop that. If you hit him again, you're in timeout. Okay, you go to the bathroom. You stop pulling her hair. You go over here. You go. I mean, she's constantly managing chaos in our home, right? And so women, you give every ounce of your time to your children. But here's the danger. When your children become the focal point of the marriage, then we must remember the marriage is in a dangerous spot, okay? 
we, we must remember that you're a husband and you're a wife before you're a parent. You're a spouse before you're a parent. Because here's the truth, and let me tell you, let me tell you this. Let me just be real honest with you for a second. If you cannot learn this, your kids will not have a father. Or they will not have a mother. You are a spouse that serves and loves Jesus first and each other, then your kids. Because if we can't do it in order, then none of that works. It doesn't work. So you are a spouse first. The greatest thing I can do for my kids is to prioritize my time with my wife. Is to prioritize time with my wife. Here's the deal. Many of us are so good, and I've fallen into this trap before as well. We're so good at giving all the excuses of why we can't spend time with one another. Well, I'm busy at work, or we have kids. Listen, I have five kids, five kids, all under the age of seven, okay? It it takes an act of God for us to find a babysitter, okay? It, It is like, man, it's crazy. Oftentimes, it's not like for some of you that have one or two kids, oh, that's great. Look, I love you and hate you at the same time, okay? Um, For those of you that have that, you can call one babysitter. We have to call like a small militia to come over to our house and watch our kids, okay? But here's the deal. We still make time to spend with each other. And And sometimes, listen, sometimes it is a day together, which rarely ever happens, okay? But even if it's 30 minutes with each other, you know what? Even if it's you just having to deal with the chaos in your house being a little bit messy for a while so you can spend time with your wife or your husband, it's worth it. You want to know what my Saturday mornings look like? We have a porch, and we have a glass door, and we sit out on the porch, we drink coffee, and we talk together, and I would love to tell you that it's just ideal. You know, we have deep conversation, we spend time with one another. I have a glass door, and Petey, my, my fourth child, and Amelia, who's sitting right here, they're at the glass door going, ah! <laughs> while you're trying to drink coffee and have deep conversation. But you know what? We're determined to make this thing work. So it may be chaotic at times, but it's not an excuse of why we can't spend time with one another. Listen, a babysitter is a lot less expensive than an attorney. It's a lot less expensive than an attorney. Some of you need to walk out of here today, and I'm just going to tell you because I love you this. You need to walk out of here today, and you need to get a babysitter, and you need to go spend some time together. Because listen, I know you love your kids. I know you want your house clean. Claire and I are both perfectionists. Like it's hard for us to sit down on the couch when there's clutter and kids' toys all over the place. And usually we like to pick it all up before we can relax. But you know what? There's some days where we just got to go, you know what? Just let it be. Just let it be. Because if we spend all of our time and our energy on picking up and doing all these things, and you know what? By the time we're done, it's time for bed. And we haven't even talked yet. Some of you just need to learn to just let it go. Spend some time with one another. (laughs) Let the kids pick it up. Our kids do pick it up. Um, There's three types of relationships. Okay? This, I'm going to go, I'm going to walk through these really quickly. Number one, there's face-to-face. This is where you, when you first get married and you start off as friends, you're like, this is my best 
friend, nothing comes between you, right? You barely even argue. And even if there are things that you want to argue about, you kind of hold it in because you're like, I just love her so much. I'm not going to argue with her. Um, You actually put down the phone. You actually turn off the TV. You actually look each other in the eye and have a conversation. And then sometimes as the marriage continues to go on and drift a little bit, then it becomes, it's not face-to-face anymore. It's shoulder-to-shoulder, your coworkers now. So what does this mean? It means you work together on the house. You work together on paying the bills. You work together on raising the kids and taking the kids to sports and activities and all that kind of stuff. But there's not really that face-to-face time anymore. And then the third way, as the relationship kind of progresses, if you're not careful, eventually it's back-to-back. Now you're roommates. Now you're together because of the kids. Now you're together because you just want to create stability for the kids. Or now you're together because it would be a, a bad move financially if you got divorced. Or you don't know what you would do. So you share the same bed, but you live separate lives. You have separate checking accounts, and you have separate friends. So here's the deal. The whole goal of this series The reason that we spent four weeks on it is wherever you're at to get you back to that face-to-face relationship. So you don't want to be another statistic. And the only way that that's going to happen is if you can learn to get back to -to face-to-face. So let let me show you how this plays out practically, okay? So men, this is how it plays out practically for you. If you want to have fun emotionally with your wife, if you want to meet her needs emotionally, this is what you're going to have to be willing to do. Share with your wife one thing that happened this week and how you felt about it. Share your feelings with her. Share one thing that happened in the relationship, maybe something that went on, and tell her how it affected you and how you felt. Be vulnerable. Most men don't like that. I don't need to share my feelings with nobody. Here's the truth. I know this is, this is coming across maybe a little strong, but it's the truth. You need to hear it, men. Men that don't share their feelings are really the weakest men. And it's this idea, they have this idea that I'm, I'm strong because I have the appearance of strength. But inside, you're struggling. Inside, you're wrestling. Inside, you're soft. You know what? The strongest men get vulnerable because it takes them coming to a place where they have to release their pride and they have to get into a situation where it might embarrass them. That exudes strength. You know what? It doesn't take strength to just keep hiding all your stuff. That takes weakness. The facade of strength is not real strength. You willing to get down, bear your stuff with somebody, be open, tell them how you feel, that is strength. The practical application for women, if you want to connect with your husband emotionally, just go do something with them. Like, okay, don't worry, I got the kids taken care of. Don't worry about the house right now. Don't look like you're all stressed out. Like, we're going to go do something, and we're going to go bowling, but I'm so stressed out while we're here. Like, just go have fun. Go do an activity. Whatever it is that you like to do, if it's exercising, if it's running, if it's rock climbing, if it's whatever it is, just go do something fun with them. 
Number two, this is the one you've all been waiting for, all right? So if we're going to learn to have fun together, we've got to learn to have fun together emotionally. And the second thing, we've got to learn to have fun together physically. Physically, all right? God designed sex. It's not like he made Adam and Eve, put him in the garden, turned his back, and looked back. And was like, oh my God, what's going on? That did not happen, all right? He designed it. It's a good thing. It's a good thing in the context of marriage. Sex is amazing in marriage. It's cursed outside of it. And let me, t- and let me, and let me prove it to you. Some of you, and listen, I'm not here to condemn you or anything like that. I've made a bunch of mistakes myself as well, okay? If you weren't married and you indulged in this, you know the scars that you carry with that emotionally it, fe- it affects you, it's, it weighs on you, it's taxing to you, right? In the context of marriage, sex is beautiful and it's amazing and God's not disgusted by it. And the reason I gotta say that is because I don't know why it is. You ever go to like some church thing and they're like, 10 feet, 10 feet, don't, don't touch your hand. When you dance together, you got 10 feet. If Jesus can't fit in the middle of you, then it's not healthy. Like, come on, dude. Seriously. So we, I think sometimes in church we paint this picture of like sex. It's like, ooh, gross, disgusting. We can't talk about that. Listen, God designed it. He created it for our enjoyment and for our pleasure. It was not just to make kids. God, like God does everything with a purpose. He meant for it to be enjoyable. And here's the truth. If you want to have good sex, you do not have to look at the thing in Walmart, the magazine, 16 best ways. You need to do it God's way. And here's the truth. If you really want it to be something that you both enjoy, you're going to both have to learn to be servants. You're going to have to learn to serve one another. Proverbs 5, 18, 19. Listen, it's just the Bible, okay? I'm just reading the Bible here, all right? Proverbs 5, 18 through 19. So if you're offended, be offended with the Bible, all right? May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Some teenage boy in here just found his memory verse. All right? Uh, <laughs> what, what is that one, Dad? Can you tell me that one again? I don't remember that one. So it is a good thing. It says enjoy each other. Enjoy each other. So let me talk to the men real quick. Men, work on your approach when it comes to sex. Because men can make everything sexual. Hey, babe, can you help me stir this pot? I'll stir your pot, baby. Like, <laughs> like we just have a tendency to make everything sexual. She does not like that at all. My wife used to laugh at first, and she's like, that's stupid. Don't ever say that again. That's so dumb. So men, work on your approach. Learn how your wife receives love and then work on your approach. Women, make an approach. (laughs) If you've had a headache for seven years, there's something wrong. (laughs) Truth, some of you ladies went to like, when you saw your husband for the first time, man, you went all out. You got ready and then all of a sudden you get married and you're like, eh, sweatpants. Listen, some of you are thinking we don't have time because we have kids. We don't have time because we don't have kids. Listen, 
you, if you want this to work, you will do whatever you need to do to make it work. Listen, God is serious about this stuff. I mean, the, the reason that sex is a good thing within the context of marriage is because it really is a bonding agent. It is a connecting agent. And if we can learn to do it right, it is something that will sustain our relationships. Now, if we do it and it's something that is outside of the way that God created it, it's always going to be a curse. It's always going to be a curse. First Corinthians puts it this way. First Corinthians chapter 7. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. So women, don't walk out of here and say, I gotta go pray, <laughs> all right? <laughs> We're to be servants of one another. And I have to say this real quick. This verse, husbands especially, and I'm talking to the men, this is not an out for you just to tell your wife that she needs to do whatever you need her to do. Because it said, well, it says right here that you need to give your body to me. Listen, if you're not being a servant, then this does not apply to you. It's not like she's some object that you can do whatever you want with her, okay? So let's set that straight. But we're servants that serve one another that should be loving one another. And let, let me put it to you this way. I have a son, Isaac, and anybody have a kid that he, there's no filter like, no filter. He just says things. Isaac is that kid, okay? He, he just has this, he has this newfound love of, I don't know why, he, he loves calling people like, what's up, poop? Like, just, like, stuff. I'm like, dude, come on. What are you doing? So, the other day, my wife is cooking dinner, and he's hungry. And so, he walks into the kitchen, and this is, this is his phrase. He walks in, he's got a plate in one hand and a fork in the other. Where's my food? I wanted to kick him straight across the kitchen. Like, are you serious? You're going to walk in here and scream, where's my food? And here's the deal. That's what a lot of us do within the context, especially when it comes to sexual relationships. Why aren't you meeting my needs? What's wrong with you? And we're not willing to be servants and to go, okay, maybe the reason that this isn't working is because we're not serving one another. You remember the very first week that we talked about the issue is not your spouse. The issue is you. So it's, it's always easy to say, well, yeah, we have all these problems because it's her problem. And the truth is, the thing that God is always after, the thing that Jesus is always after, is the issue inside of our own hearts. Well, I want to work on you first before we fix this whole thing. So let me talk about some different ways, three different ways that we can kill physical intimacy. Three things that just absolutely murder it. Okay. Number one, you make your wife or your husband earn sex. You make them earn it. You may say, well, he doesn't deserve it. And the truth is, it may be true. But fulfilling your husband sexually when he doesn't deserve it means that you love your husband like Jesus does. That you love your husband. Because here's the, here's the thing. Isn't this so true of the gospel that God gave us something even when we didn't deserve it? That he gave us something even when we didn't deserve it? Or, or put it this way, what if God only answered your prayers only when you deserved it? What if God only answered your prayers when he was like, you know what, you're good enough this week, so I'll answer. But the truth is, God meets our needs wherever we're at. So don't make your spouse earn it. 
Number three, I mean, number two. Or maybe you only have sex when you both feel like it. And here's the truth. It's not about what you feel like. It's about serving one another. It's about serving one another. Serve them by being patient with them and let God deal with them. Serve them by being patient with them and let God deal with them. Here's the irony. When you think less about your happiness and more about someone else's, you end up finding happiness and fulfillment for yourself. So we learn to serve one another. Now, this next one, you may think it's a joke, but it's so true. Okay, I'm not joking. Number three, one of the the, the main things that kills physical intimacy is you share your bed with your children or your pets. You share your bed with your children or your pets. And you may think it's a joke, but it is the truth. Because women, this is what happens when you take that baby and you put him in the bed, immediately your husband's like, okay, nothing's happening. <laughs> this is not going to work. Right? You immediately are communicating with a nonverbal, lay here, and that's it. And listen, I'm not saying that, Claire and I, we have made a commitment to not have kids in our bed. And listen, there are exceptions. Okay? I mean, obviously, if a kid is running a high fever or is sick or whatever, they will come in our room. But guess what? We put a pad down, and they sleep down there. <laughs> um. These things will kill physical intimacy. Look, if you've got like five dogs sleeping with you, get a kennel. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. So here's, what's the practical application to all this? Go home and have fun with your spouse. (laughs) That's the practical application. Learn to serve one another. Maybe some of you just need to go home and have a conversation and say, man, how can we better serve one another so that we can be both interested in this? How can we both serve one another so this will be something that we look forward to rather than something that we dread? Okay? I foresee a lot of baby dedications in about 10, 12 months. (laughs) Here's a word for singles real quick. The key to a happy marriage is marrying someone who loves God more than they love you. Someone who loves God more than they love you. And here's the deal. Let me just talk to the single ladies for a second. Ladies, if you're dating a guy who serves himself sexually now in the relationship, do you think he's going to change when he gets married? No. Because in the relationship, it is all about him. And if you shut that rendezvous down, it's probably going to end. So if you think for one second that, oh, this is a guy, you know, I'm giving myself to him and we're happy. But if he's constantly serving himself, he's just going to carry that right into marriage. Sex in marriage is a blessing. Sex outside of marriage is a curse. In marriage, it's awesome. It's amazing. It works. And there's much fulfillment from both people. And God is pleased. Outside of that, it is damaging, it leaves scars, it leaves emotional wounds. And listen, I want to tell you this this morning. If that's you, if you're going, man, I wish I would have waited, I wish I would have saved myself, I wish I wouldn't have had those things, I wish I wouldn't have had that past, or I would have had that history, I wish I wouldn't have had any of this. Here's the truth. The thing that constantly keeps me coming back to my relationship with Jesus and loving Jesus is that no matter what I've done, listen, No matter what you've done, he loves you. And he wants to give you a fresh start. If you decide to make that right now, he wants to give it to you right now. 
So don't walk out of here going, man, I wish I would have done this. I wish I wouldn't have had this past. I wish I... Listen, some of your past is your greatest story that you could ever have to tell somebody, hey, don't do this. I did this and I messed up. And I can help you not walk through this. Sometimes God, sometimes God gives you a story and a testimony so that you can share with other people. Number three. We're going to learn to have fun together. It has to be emotionally. It has to be physically. And then the third one is spiritually. We've got to learn to have fun together spiritually. Hebrews 3.1 says, Brothers and sisters, you are holy partners in a heavenly calling. You are holy partners in a heavenly calling. God designed the two of you to make a difference together on this earth. Isn't it fulfilling when you accomplish something together rather than alone? Man, things just work so much better when you do it together. The truth is you haven't experienced genuine fun until you've learned to serve together. This is why we put so much emphasis on our dream team. This is why I put so much emphasis on our life groups and all those things. If you could just, I said this two weeks ago, if you could just get into a group, get around some like-minded people, your marriage would be different. I promise you. Ultimately, at the end of the day, Jesus wants to give you something that's bigger than you. It's bigger than your conflict. It's bigger than your emotional things that you deal with. It's bigger than you and your spouse. He wants to give you a fulfilling, life-giving relationship with him, and he wants you to seek that together. You know, I'll be, I'll be vulnerable with you for a second. Every single time that Claire and I, we do a marriage series, it seems like we go through the roughest time in our marriage. And so we're, we're together last night, and I'm like, this is the last marriage series we're ever doing. And if we do one, it's, it's going to be a mini-series. Like, because <laughs> every time we do one, it's like we feel like just this immense, like, spiritual attack on us. Like, we're short with each other. We're argumentative. We're defensive. I mean, little things offend us. And so you know what we did last night? Last night we're sitting together, and I said, you know what? We have talked out everything that we need to talk out. And I think what we need to do is we just need to pray together. We just need to pray over each other because God, we, we don't know what to do. We don't know the solution. We don't know what's going on. So we sat down and I said, listen, and I looked at her and I said, listen, we're going to pray and we're going to believe after we pray that every, all this funk, this fogginess that, we gonna, that we've been in is going to be done. So well, literally for maybe 10 minutes or so, we just prayed over each other. And I can honestly say after that was over, we immediately felt a connection with each other again. It's like, oh my God, why didn't we do this in the beginning? Why didn't we do, why didn't I just do what I told you to do the first week? <laughs> Pray for each other. It really does help. Matthew 6, 21 says it this way, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And he's not just talking about money. So what is your treasure? Your treasure is your time, it's your possession. Wherever you put that, your heart will follow. So if you're investing spiritually in your marriage, then your heart will follow there as well. Here's the truth. If the grass is always greener on the other side for you, maybe it's time to water your own grass. Some of us are constantly looking at, man, the grass is just, if I could just get out of this relationship. Maybe you see people and you're like, oh, if I could just be with that person, then it would be so much better or whatever. The grass is never greener on the other side, ever. Listen, if your grass is brown or if you don't have grass, it's dirt. (laughs) Whatever it is, begin to water that. 
Man, learn to have fun together emotionally, physically, spiritually. Learn to pray together, to seek God together. If you're not even there, you're like, man, we're not even at that point. I don't even know how to seek God. I don't know how to pray. I don't get in a life group. Man, get around people that can help you, that can pull you up. I heard a wise man say a long time ago, and I think it can't, I think it's so true. He said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Listen, some of the reason that some of you guys are staying stuck spiritually is because you're constantly around people that are pulling you down. Listen, your marriage would probably be better if you just found better friends. Your marriage would probably be better if you got in life-giving relationships, if you sought God together. And the truth is, if you don't know how to do that, then how can you do that if you're still hanging around the people that are constantly pulling you down? Because listen, you don't need a girlfriend to gossip with, another guy to share issues with and drink a beer over, okay? You need somebody that can look at you in the eyes and say, listen, man, I love you and I'm going to tell you the truth, but guess what? I'm not only going to tell you the truth, I'm going to help you walk through this. I'm going to help you get through this. Some of us are giving the best that we are to our job. Some of us are giving our best to our kids. And if you want your marriage to work, you have got to save your time and energy and give your best to your spouse. See, the sad thing is there are so many people that are getting the best of you. It's just not your spouse. And your boss gets the best of you. He gets all your time, he gets all your energy, and you give 110%, and then you get home, you're like, first gear, (laughs) right? If you're ready to give up right now, if you're in here today and you're saying, listen, I'm ready to, I'm done. I'm ready to give up, I'm ready to end it. Pour your time, energy, and money into your spouse. Pour your time, energy, and men, money (laughs) into your wife into your spouse. Listen, I'm not, I don't believe in racking up a bunch of debt and all that kinds of stuff, but listen, if you don't have the money and you need like $25 to to go down to go on a date, put it on a stinking credit card. Or come tell me and I'll give you $25, okay? Whatever you need to do, just make it happen. Make it happen. So here's what I want to close with. Choices lead and feelings follow. Choices lead and feelings follow. If you start doing what you once did when you were first married, I believe you'll get what you once had. But if you keep doing what you're still doing, do you know the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results? You can't continue to keep doing what you're doing now because you're never going to progress and you're never going to move forward. So here's the question that I close with today. What life-giving choices do you need to make today? What life-giving choices do you need to make today to move forward? The reason that we titled this whole series From This Day Forward, we genuinely believe that from this day forward right now, God can begin to do a transformative work in your life, a redeeming work in your life. So I want to pray real quick, and I'm going to give, um, Mike's going to lead some of you guys. Um, maybe if you want to give your life to Jesus, um, he's going to walk you through that and give you a few instructions. Um, but let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for all the marriages in here. 
God, we know that you love us. We know that you're for us. And God, some of us are just dealing with immense pain, immense emotional toil, struggle, anxiety, stress at our work or our job or our children. But God, I pray that you would give us the boldness and the strength to set aside some time and be able to focus on each other. God, I pray that you would begin to mend broken hearts and broken marriages. God, I know it's so easy to make excuses of why we can't do certain things. God, I pray that your conviction would rest so heavy on us today. And God, that we would feel compelled and just the need, God, to I'd want to be a better husband, want to be a better wife. And God, I pray that we realize that the only way that we can do that is by you, by seeking you. God, give us a deep, intimate relationship with you. In Jesus' name.